Welcome to this edition of Diverse Thinkers Podcast. I am here today with Rosetta Lee. Rosetta Lee is a woman I first encountered at the People of Color Conference last year in Tennessee. She was being followed by legions of admirers, and I've come to understand why she has so many admirers. She is uh, one of the leaders of the national conversation about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, and along with that lofty responsibility, she's also a teacher and administrator at Seattle, Seattle Girls School, where she was one of the founding faculty members. So welcome, Rosetta. Thank you so much for having me. So we just, uh, having uh, come from Anderson Hall, where Rosetta worked with our students uh, a few hours ago, we... Um, we had to get there, right? So I was walking over with Rosetta, and uh, there's an apple tree, and there was an apple on the apple tree, and she was walking, and the apple promptly fell off the tree and bonked her in the head. And I, and I, at first I was really apologetic and said something like, "Welcome to New Hampshire in the fall." And then as I was thinking, I realized uh, it got me thinking about Newton and the inspiration that the apple tree uh, offered, because the apple tree dropped an apple, hit him on the head, it got him thinking about gravity, and the world changed. Thereafter, and I'm wondering um, what aha moment might you have had today about Brewster or about diversity, equity, and inclusion work, or any any aha moments that you think are worth sharing to our audience. Mm. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure I would necessarily call it an aha moment, but certainly um, the exercise that we did together as a community. Um, there were teaching points about identity, but also an opportunity for people to, if they wanted, to claim aspects of who they are. And I sense a, 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 a jumble of energy in the room, everything from eagerness to learn about one another and claim, but also apprehension about, is this okay to say about myself or who else is like me? Uh, and then um, certainly as uh, we were hitting some of the topics, one of the things that I talk about is we all have these private identities that don't fall neatly into diversity character uh, categories like uh, race, ethnicity, religion, but um, there are key experiences that really inform who we are and how we move about the world. And so when I was explaining private identities, I, I definitely sensed that quietness and introspection where young people were thinking about what are those aspects in my life? Now, in an assembly setting, obviously, there's different levels of comfort, vulnerability, all that kind of stuff. So I'm eager to find out what conversations ensue in advisories and dorms and, and other uh, more intimate spaces. So that's a really powerful observation, actually. The notion that we have on one side apprehension and quietness, and on the other, eagerness and introspection is really a line's up perfectly with my sense of where we are as an institution. We are kind of in our in our awkward adolescence related to work uh, around diversity, equity, and inclusion issues. And that's not to say that we have always been there. We were, uh, we've come a long, as they say, we've come a long way, baby. Yes. Yeah. In the last four or five years under Melissa Lawler's leadership, and and a lot of the uh, a lot of the conversations that we're having now are vastly greater sophistication, but there are still moments in which we, I so clearly see kids get apprehensive. And, and as a, as a, as a segue to a question, we, we actually did have, I had two conversations subsequent to your, your work over at Anderson Hall with our students. One was with a pair of students and, and they 
came up to me and proudly announced that we need to do more work like that. Mm. And another was with a single student who said, I am so tired of talking about this work. Yeah. I'm sure you hear this binary all the time. Absolutely. So what advice do you have about how to deal with the ambiguity of some people feeling like we do it too much and others feel like we do it too little? Mm -hmm. And I often say that probably is an indication that you're doing uh, the right amount. Um, <laughs> because I think about, uh, let's say, communities that are um, trying to more intentionally do diversity, inclusion, equity work is like any community trying to intentionally do anything for the first time mm -hmm. or continuing. Uh, you will have uh, about 20% of the population who's like, we should be doing more of this. We should have been doing more of this yesterday. Um, you know, there's an eagerness, a energy, and a drive. And then about 20% of the population is like, we're going too fast. This is too much. Why are we doing this? I think this is going to mess us up. Um, and about 60% of the population could go either way. Um, and the 20-60-20 rule is, a, a, you know, from organizational change research. Um, and it's not hard numbers. It's just indicating the fact that you're going to have uh, folks who are on either ends and a great majority is in the middle. And so to a certain degree, I think it's always paying attention to what is the school's growth zone and doing intentional work to address the 60% in going a little bit further, mm -hmm. right? Um, and um, I think it's also a matter of making sure that, uh, again, the growth zone, um, I think about uh, educational research, it's zone of proximal development, right? So when you're teaching, you don't want to teach in the comfort zone where you're basically re-engaging with the same concepts that folks already know over and over again. And so some schools uh, sort of wallow in the, we're a loving community, we're a tight-knit community, or you know some piece of history, like we're, we were the first school to be racially integrated in this region. And I'm often like, and that, that is fantastic, and that was 15, you know, 150 years ago. So I'm just curious what has been happening since then, right? So you don't want to stay in the comfort zone, but you don't want to be in the panic zone where sometimes I've seen school communities not pay attention to the history, the context, the populations it adds, and then tries to do the level of work because they saw it someplace, uh, in, uh, someplace else without recognizing that that was a different time context and institutional history. And so um, the community feels... Uh, shoved almost and then there's a, a pushback and then a, a backstepping that you actually have to re reintroduce and earn the trust again and so um, i think it's actually good that you had a few folks who are like we're, we need to do more and a few folks that said we we are doing too much <laughs> well i can see uh just by virtue of how you're engaging in dialogue about these matters why it is that you actually have probably a pretty full dance card around these matters and you're probably flying around the country a fair amount to do this work because it is hard work. Mm -hmm. There is no question about it. And I, I find about uh, all the hard matters, that was the sound of the Lake Winnipesaukee uh, ferry coming in. So <laughs> welcome to Wolfboro. Yes. Uh, I find that doing, doing the hard work when we're talking about global climate change, we're talking mm -hmm. about diversity, equity, and inclusion work, we're talking about... Uh, all kinds mm -hmm. of complicated conversations yes. that we have that that it the weight of it is sometimes really quite quite daunting and mm -hmm. I'm curious how you know where are you finding hope these mm -hmm. days where what's getting you out of bed and making you feel happy despite confronting mm -hmm. in many ways the ugliness of history and, mm -hmm. and the challenges in the broader world and, 
Mm-hmm. And what's making you feel hopeful? Yes. Um, for me, the, the hope is always in the zooming in and the person-to-person interactions. Um, I find that um, people are basically good. Um, sometimes people uh, don't have experience. Some people don't have knowledge. Some people are worried about what uh, a change is about. Um, but I have rarely met somebody where I said, um, this person is morally worrisome to me. Um, and so for me, it's tapping into that basic human goodness and getting at where is the source of um dissonance, right? Um, And so I find that uh, there's so much rhetoric in the world about this group and that group and stereotypes and who belongs and who doesn't and fear-based rhetoric around what will happen if these people get control or those people get control. And I think it's really important to realize that the rhetoric is great for ratings, it's great for clicks, it's great for selling things, but it's not great for building communities. Mm -hmm. So how do I, if the rhetoric is saying this about a community, how do I still look at that person who comes from that group and says, you are a fellow human being, and how do I um, recognize that those messages may or may not be what you're about? And I found that Every single time I zoom into the person to person, I am left with um, something that we have in common, something that makes us laugh together, something that makes us cry together, something that makes us um, recognize the humanity in one another. Um, And I think if we can remember to do that, especially in school communities, um, hopefully they go out there in the world uh, and they have like close relationships and ex- uh, positive experiences across difference that will help them um, repel a little bit of the the rhetoric messages that say we should separate and we should isolate and we should get into our echo chambers and hold up. Super interesting. I, you, it's like you looked at my notes before <laughs> we started talking because I actually really wanted to get into this matter yeah. of dissonance, mm-hmm. the matter that we find ourselves in in complicated times mm-hmm. and that these schools are complicated mm-hmm. places mm-hmm. with lots of competing agendas and a history that will that that inevitably informs but should not ultimately define uh, the school's future but I have been stuck lately mm-hmm. with a, a particular complexity yeah. and that is that the uh, that these Independent schools is, is a boarding school. Mm-hmm. A Seattle Girls School is a day mm-hmm. school, but they are selective, mm-hmm. and therefore they are exclusive. Yes. There is a crazy degree of privilege mm-hmm. floating around here. I know that what keeps me in this mm-hmm. this business is are three notions. One, the notion that all kids are good kids. Yes. I believe that in my bones. Mm-hmm. I will never believe otherwise. Mm-hmm. Two, that influencing kids here and influencing how they act mm-hmm. as agents of change in the world is, is a really powerful way to mm-hmm. to act on my own values right yeah. and and help others to act on their own values and that uh, I also think that these are like little cultural wonderful little cultural relics mm-hmm. of a time when a time of civility when it was not the world was not just a bunch of isolated echo chambers I think this can be a place where we can actually discuss embrace reflect mm-hmm. on celebrate difference um, so my question is, you know, you've got a big platform, mm-hmm. and you are 
clearly capable of having very sophisticated conversations. What's keeping you in the independent school mm. space? Do you, mm -hmm. Have you thought about, uh, you know, should I should I work in policy? Should I work mm -hmm. you know, in the public sector? I, I'm just curious about what keeps you in at Seattle. What keeps you coming, flying across the country mm -hmm. to come to Brewster when there are probably lots of other things you could be doing? <laughs> well, um, I think um, that's due to uh, many factors, but in terms of independent schools, I think um, the reality is, yes, this these are very um, specific environments and um, the population is relatively small. There's a whole lot of access and privilege. But I also think about how um, many of our students, because of the education that they're receiving, because of the preparation that they're getting, will enter, or, or the circumstances that they're coming from, period, um, their access to make some big changes in the world is pretty amplified. Um, and so I think about how sometimes I see um, policies coming down from folks who don't have relationships across difference or experience in a particular field or um, knowledge of impacted communities. And um, I don't consider them bad people, but I do think about how maybe they didn't have that exposure or education around how many folks experience the world and how, depending on whether you have money or not, you experience the world differently. Whether you're a white person or a person of color, you experience the world differently. Or whether you're a man or a woman, you experience the world differently. The more we can prepare young people with understanding about the various experiences, build empathy and understanding, when they enter those spaces where they can make some big decisions, how will they channel not just what they know and what they experience, but all of the experiences of the communities around them. And I think those ethical, empathic leaders are going to make the world a better place. And uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I, for me, uh, what an opportunity to, without having the, the obligations of a, uh, public school testing schedule or curriculum that I need to get through the opportunity to focus in on um, not just the content of subjects, but also the context of humanity and the content of civility and leadership and um, socio-emotional excellence. Um, that freedom allows us to not just uh, intellectually cultivate young people, but also cultivate them to be um, improvers of the world. So sure. I see that in the independent schools. And so we know that with, with that freedom comes huge responsibility, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. And Brewster's mission is to prepare diverse thinkers for lives of purpose. And we talk a lot about what purpose really yes. means. Mm -hmm. And purpose in my dictionary that, that I carry around in my own little brain is, that, is to act on that which is uh, about act on that which is larger than the self, to yes. actually affect change in the underlying conditions of others in a manner yes. that lifts other people up, right? Mm -hmm. And and when you think about that, when you think about where we are as an organization, we have uh, the, the apprehensive quietness and the eager introspection mm -hmm. that defines any adolescence, mm -hmm. right? And, yes. and, and I spent some time uh, while I was on a uh, on the road a few days ago writing our 2023 milestones. We have a strategy process that that looks at our mission statement and looks at our 
vision statement, which is an approach to education that has the exponential power to transform education, communities, and the lives of students in our care. So we've got this great vision statement, great mission statement. Every year we do a gap analysis and figure out what yes. we need to change. But we're always trying to point towards something that's a little mm -hmm. bit further in the distance. Absolutely. So I wrote a uh, three miles, what we're calling 2023 milestones. Mm -hmm. We just completed our 2020 milestones from three years ago. So I figured, well, now's its time to yes. to syndicate some new ones. And and one of the milestones was was uh, if I can uh, let me let me just find it. Uh, here it is. Uh, here's a twenty twenty three milestone that I scribbled down the other day to build an extraordinary culture shaped by by uh, exemplary program programming in diversity, equity, inclusion work, in service work, and in leadership work. Right? It's a milestone. Yeah. Actionable. Mm -hmm. Where would you begin? <laughs> um, well, I think about uh, when it comes to diversity, inclusion, equity work, ultimately I think about the layers of work that could be happening. Um, I think there is a value orientation work, which is how do we see um, human difference is value added, right? And um, and how interacting with diverse communities raises um, all kinds of things, uh, critical thinking, creativity, innovation, empathy, you name it, right? Uh, and then how do we recognize that this, is, this work is about relationships and respect uh, and equity, identifying uh, barriers and removing them for folks who face barriers. So there's a value orientation to this work. And then there is a thought orientation to this work. There's a whole body of knowledge around things like uh, stereotype threat and how does stereotype affect people's full potential uh, depending on the environment, whether those uh, stereotypes are really alive and salient or are uh, reduced and mitigated. Um, what are what are microaggressions and how do we dialogue through it instead of defaulting to a ignore them or have a call-out culture of shame? Um, neither of which is helpful in my mind. Uh, there's uh, a whole, whole lot of um, research around implicit bias, how implicit and unconscious bias, how people have are basically good and have good uh, professed values, but oftentimes, uh, we have these hidden and unrealized associations that affect our micro decisions every day that result in unequal outcomes. Um, so I think about those thought orientation of knowledge and awareness and systems thinking. Um, because ultimately, I think uh, that, again, I, I, th I think schools have been doing a lot of work around the value orientation. And I believe uh, that many schools are... Uh, there, but the thought orientation hasn't necessarily come about. Mm -hmm. And then I also think about action orientation, which is what are the things that we are doing to increase our capacity and our skill sets? Um, and then what are the ways that we're assessing? Like, what do I know? What do I not know? What do I do well and what do I not do well? And then adaptation, whether it's reactively to the data that you're getting or proactively because changes are coming, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think about the fact that when I start, first started teaching 20 years ago, uh, 20, 25 years ago, the idea of, let's say, um, like 
supporting uh, gender non-binary or transgender students was not a part of the conversation. Or um, in independent schools even, uh, you know, this idea of how do we have not just financial aid to bring in students on scholarship, but also create an inclusive environment. Mm -hmm. Like I think it was an admissions focus rather than an inclusion focus. So things are gonna change. And so I think about excellent programming, not so much are we there yet, but are we moving? So what are those ways that we're providing opportunities for folks uh, to identify those growth zones and move? Because uh, somebody who has, because of their identities or experiences, have a lot of um, thinking already under the belt. Are uh, And this is where I think some of those uh, comments about we're doing too much or we're not doing enough comes in, right? So there are some folks who, because of their identities or experiences, this is very salient to their lives. And they're like, we need to be talking about it more. And folks who are maybe beginning the journey and um, this is new information to them or it, it feels shaky in terms of their current thinking of the world that it feels, mm -hmm. it feels um, jarring. And so anything feels like too much. Um, but how do you create an environment where all of that is part of the learning and growing process? And what I do to grow myself uh, look may look differently than what you do to learn and grow, but we are committed and we share have the shared identity around. We believe in the importance of it, and we're committed to recognizing places we can grow and supporting each other in growing in those realms. And that's that's very important. And I I'm heartened to know that that a lot of what you said is is kind of on our collective yeah. brains mm -hmm. because we really are interested in continuing on along and being driven by values mm -hmm. and be driven being driven by our sense of of what we believe yeah. uh, justice actually looks like in the community so mm -hmm. it sounds like all of those are all of the the programmatic dimensions that flow from there mm -hmm. are uh, are parts and pieces yeah. in service to a broader set of goals that seem like they make sense to you mm -hmm. and, uh, and it's funny because the last slide at the end of the uh, the session in Anderson, you had you showed the, the bystander ally yes. continuum, mm -hmm. which I think is really important. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, uh, allies appear out of nowhere, right? Yes. And we're really grateful that you kind of came onto our screen at uh, People of Color Conference mm -hmm. and and came onto our screen again today and, and shared with us what what you've shared with us. I hope this is not. The last conversation we have. I hope what we can do is to pull you in as we are on this path, uh, because it's clear that you that you could be a good compass for us as we get lost in the underbrush <laughs> of, uh, of this work. So I, I thank you, and I hope that this is not our last conversation. Thank you so much for having me again. I look forward to our future conversations. Well, thank you. <laughs>